This is the FS Tech Podcast. Welcome to the FS Tech Podcast. I'm Hannah McGrath, the editor of FS Tech, and today we're going to take a look at the challenges and opportunities for wealth managers as they transform their traditional approach to fit the digital age. As the demand for digital services skyrocketed during the pandemic, financial services providers had to move faster than ever before to provide continuity for their customers across digital channels and platforms. And while retail banks make headway against the digital challenges, many sectors, notably wealth management, investment and asset management, are struggling to keep up with the pace of change. As a result, Digital advocates working in traditional wealth management firms are making the urgent business case for digital transformation to prepare for the future. However, many are experiencing pushback from senior leaders concerned that digital transformation goes against the grain of a rich heritage of highly personalized service and relationships, which extend back many generations, as well as highlighting the cost and security implications of moving customer data onto new technology at a time of disruption. But as customers, millennials to more mature investors become more mobile, wealth management needs to evolve quickly to survive while retaining the tailored customer experiences and seamless service that set traditional financial services providers apart. So to delve further into these topics, as well as some possible solutions to this digital dilemma, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by George Bailey, Marketing Lead for Wealth at Creologics. Let's jump into the first question then. Um, Hi, George. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Hannah. Thanks very much for having me on the podcast. No worries at all. Um, So our first question is, um, how have digital challenges changed customer expectations of financial services providers in the last few years? So digital challenges have changed customer expectations massively. Uh, And I think it's hard for us to think back to the era uh, before we had digital challenges. They've changed things so much. So if we think about retail banking, Uh, and try to imagine what that was like when perhaps uh, older millennials and Generation X grew up. There there wasn't any alternative except to have to go into a bank uh, branch in person to set up a bank account and to do a lot of the things you wanted to do. I think we now come to the last five years and look at what's happened in that retail banking space. We've got uh, very well-known names like N26, which is one of the earliest ones that was founded in 2013. And then from about 2015 onwards, you've got other names like Revolut, Monzo, and Starling. Uh, And these digital challenges have truly revolutionized what convenience means for banking. So convenient before meant that your bank was in your nearby town. It was convenient to go to the bank in person. And convenient now means not ever having to visit a branch. These digital challenges don't have branches. possible to achieve all the things you need to do in banking and achieve them really well without there being a branch. So that is really a revolution in terms of the definition of convenience. And I think that's that's why people talk about disruption, because it basically doesn't only challenge how an incumbent industry is achieved in a normal way. It actually changes the game, it changes the frame. So whereas as I said, we have convenience before, we've redefined what convenience means. And we've seen that really wherever digital has touched, right? So, you know, shopping now, like we mentioned, going to that bank on the high street, all those shops have been disrupted by Amazon and e-commerce. Uh, and we 
now know that uh, going going places in a taxi has been disrupted by Uber. Uh, and instead of going into that blockbuster store, you're watching something on Netflix. And Netflix haven't made it easier to get that videotape or DVD to you. They've completely changed the frame of what it means to watch a movie or watch a TV show. And in fact, they've changed the content itself to match the platform, which is true disruption. So I think all of that disruption is now coming to the investing and wealth world. Uh, and I think, um, as, as we've said, convenience is a, an important factor for any consumers everywhere. And what's extra difficult, I think, in the wealth space is the traditional firm's customers are wealthy and often sophisticated investors. So they expect a premium service. So they do get this from traditional firms, but the definition of premium has now changed because you have now expectations of digital customer experience. And, and to take that silly example of Blockbuster, you just can't imagine going back to that store to go and get your movies. It doesn't matter how well they make the in-store experience. It's just no longer a good experience to have to do it that way. And I think if I'm being a little bit harsh about some of the very traditional minded wealth management firms, they are trying to be a better Blockbuster in the era where the Netflixes of wealth have already arrived. And unfortunately, the customers are not going to be that forgiving about that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's a lot of talk um, as we report on FS Tech, you know, about the difference between people who might be perceived as digital dinosaurs coming up with solutions to bring themselves into the modern era uh, and, and make sure that they can appeal not just to younger investors, younger clientele, but also, you know, mature investors and experienced investors who have now shifted their retail banking over to digital um, and so expect the same of their uh, their wealth management. Um, so what are the key challenges for those uh, digital advocates working within wealth management firms and how can firms leverage technology to overcome some of these challenges? I think digital advocates is a good um, point to raise right because I think although we've characterized a lot of the well-established wealth firms as potentially quite traditional they're well-established heritage brands it's not to say that all the people inside them are stuck uh, in a rigid mode uh, these firms are full of uh, people who are experts in investment and technology and uh, they really really know their customers and market uh, and so You've got um, a variety of people there on the spectrum of how uh, digitally optimistic or digitally driving they are. Uh, and I think, as, as you've mentioned in the introduction, I think that uh, there is sometimes a bit of a divide that opens up between maybe the generations inside these wealth firms, but it's not only about that. It's really saying some people are naturally more advocates for digital because that's just their lifestyle. They're kind of early adopters or they just see the convenient uh, alternative future that's coming up. And I think other people are more professionally invested in it uh, directly. They're um, technologists, they're members of the IT team, they are actually working as software developers within these firms, uh, or they're people who are perhaps on the um, related disciplines such as digital marketing and uh, digital design. And so if you look at all of those different possibilities, most firms, even the most traditional ones, probably do have quite a lot of digital advocates uh, working in them. And I think the first thing that would be good is if those people could actually join forces uh, and um, if they are able to you know, collectively recognize that uh, the firm needs help changing, then um, they can try to um, drive that up. So I think that's probably the first thing to say about uh, digital advocates is 
um, if, if you're a digital advocate listening to this, it's you know, clearly you can't influence stuff as a single person. So try to find those allies within the firm. Uh, and it doesn't have to be pure technology people. It's really anybody who understands the potential of the future that we're heading into. Uh, I think the next uh, issue is to get the entire topic of digital strategy onto the management agenda of the firm and get it high enough up the agenda because there is the risk that uh, management teams who have not done a lot of work on digital strategy before might perceive uh, the ideas being raised as being a single tool or a single project or a one-off expenditure. And it's absolutely not that. It's about trying to make sure that there is going to be a long-term transformation journey that the firm is undertaking. Uh, and obviously that does need buy-in uh, all the way to the top and then back down from the top. Uh, and I think that the thing that will really help the top leadership of established wealth and investing firms understand the challenge and the opportunity is to think about that customer experience question because they already pride themselves on excellent relationship with the customers on a premium experience and frankly often at a premium price because they have wealthy customers and they provide a sophisticated service so if we now say that to be good you have to have a very good digital customer experience that's a challenge for the entire service of the firm and even though maybe as an industry there's not that many great examples to look at yet uh, if you look a little bit sideways like we've mentioned into the retail banking space or even in just general e-commerce and digital brands though that's what's setting the expectations for the customer so your customers right now already depend on amazon and netflix and uber and they probably already have one or more challenger banks. So it doesn't really matter whether your established peer group in investing in wealth has the best digital experience yet. That's not really what's stealing your customers away yet. It's more like your customers have had the bar raised on what good means. And that's the whole firm's challenge now to try to catch up with the customer's expectation. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more that it's about an end to end journey and, and the fact that expectations have changed radically. You know, if you can't offer an app based or a mobile service or at least, you know, an online service, then you're falling behind uh, the, the customer experiences that they have everywhere else. Um, so a lot has been written about robo advisory and chatbots in wealth management. And, you know, adoption levels have varied um, and success rates have varied as well. But where else can AI and analytics transform the customer journey? I think first to address uh, the, the topic of robo-advisory, I definitely agree with you that there have been uh, notable successes and notable failures in that space. And I, I think the best way to look at the entire question is to say, why have those robo-advisor solutions, both from challengers and from incumbents, been launched? What actually are they trying to achieve? And I think where you find that they're failing, it's because they've taken an overly simplistic approach perhaps of the word robo can negatively imply, to try to kind of replace the human expertise. Uh, and I think that's an example where it absolutely is the wrong approach and you know, pushback against that type of overly simplistic digitalization is a really sensible bit of pushback because nobody really benefits from trying to eliminate the source of expertise and relationship management that is the core of a lot of these uh, traditional services. So I think that 
that there are flags around robo advisory but i think as we said you know digital is, is a journey it's a transformation it's about building a strategy for the whole value of the firm and therefore it's not robo right robo is not digital digital is not robo that is an area where people have been trying to apply some of this technology and i think then if you take that step back and say so what's the available technology and what are the problems we're trying to solve then you're asking uh, a lot better questions and much more um strategic questions so I, I think there if you then think around that customer experience and think about automation and think about how you can try to use analytics and try to um, use the tools available, what things can that actually do? Uh, I, I think that can help a lot with that question of human versus robot or human versus automation, because as, as human customers, we actually can react to automation very positively if it helps us do something simple in a more simple way and makes our life easier. But we can also react very badly to it if it seems like something has become more robotic that can be quite annoying, as we know from waiting in call centers and press one to listen to more on hold music. Anything that is robotic and automated has risks for customer experience. And I think on the other side, when you look at um, high touch, relationship based, um, very personal services, that can be excellent when you want it. But it all can also be quite stifling and annoying when you don't want it. You know, imagine going into a, a shop and you have a kind of uh, pushy salesperson that's an example where it's a high touch service model and it's just not quite what you wanted at that time uh, and i think if then if you look at that uh, service design question so it it becomes a question of what's the right human touch and what's the right use of automation and i think that's a very good space where you can look at ai and you can look at analytics to say how can the technology help to build that context how can it give you the right uh, intervention at the right time and this, um, to give an example of something that we've looked at with one of our customers and wealth uh, recently in, in this kind of um, software supported journey is you look at something as simple as changing an address in a wealth management app. Uh, and the point that you discover there is you don't actually know why somebody's changing their address. So they've come into your wealth app uh, and they're trying to do a self-service address change. So is that a simple administrative thing that you want to let them do quickly? Or is it actually something where they're signaling a major change in their life circumstances? Have they sold a house? Are they moving house? Uh, has, has somebody died in the family maybe? And these are th those life moments are extremely significant and important for an advisor or a, a family relationship manager to be able to understand and potentially help with. Uh, and it might be that the customer would appreciate that. So using AI, using uh, chat, uh, and conversational communication methods, um, you can actually seek out that context. Uh, and and um, you can say, you know, another example, I'm trying to download my tax reports. So do I now want to have a meeting or do I just want to get the PDF and go away? And I think those are the kind of things where if you're asking that question, that's the right way to approach digitalization. It's not to say, how do we slap some AI on it and uh, this is magically going to solve it. You've got to think of that customer and say, how can I learn their context? And therefore, how can digital help them have a better experience?
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's it's the challenge of digitization for digitization's sake, uh, which I think you know has has happened a lot within wealth management. Um, you know, you think I need a digital solution, and so you come up with a chatbot or a robo advisor, um, which yeah. doesn't necessarily feed into to what your your clientele wants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, fantastic. So, so I mean, we we talked a bit about the mechanics and and the technology that could um augment this process and make it more personalized when uh, customers need it. Um, but will uh, a shift to digital channels help to potentially open up new markets and a new customer bases for wealth management and investment firms? Um, obviously, you know, if you're mobile and your your services can be accessed from anywhere in the world, um, yeah. then you're not restricted geographically um, or indeed between the generations. Mm. Oh, I agree. I, th I think there are massive new markets and massive new customer bases to be accessed. Actually, I think if you even could imagine a world without the internet, it, that would still be the case because I think the world situation has changed. We've become a much more global world over the last few decades. Um, and, and specifically in the area of investing, we're now in a quite a long duration of, of zero or negative interest rates, which means that anyone with money is forced to consider investing, otherwise they're losing uh, value. Uh, and so you, you've effectively got a situation where from, I think you know, when I was growing up, I think investing was considered to be a specialist thing for people who were wealthy. And you've pretty rapidly gone to a situation where it's it's life critical for all people and you're in a single global market. So that was all already happening. And then you have the effect of digital, which have merely accelerated this and made it a much more competitive space. So that on the negative side, that means that there's much more risks for established firms about the pace that challenges uh, and, and um, competitors can break into a market. On the plus side, it means that it's actually a lot easier to take new things to the market and address those customers. Uh, and I think for established firms, they do have established customer bases. So that's probably where they should start um, because these are customers who um, are probably getting a good experience in the traditional mode but might not be getting everything they expect from a modern digital service and as soon as that is created they're going to be somehow much more visible to the firm and i think this is somehow uh, an expectation that non-digital leaders of non-digital firms will find counterintuitive they'll say digital is less personal everything seems more invisible they're more distant my customers now in an app i can't see them can't talk to them but in fact, it's the opposite because, and we've seen this with uh, customers who've gone live with um, you know, wealth solutions that we've provided for them, uh, is that they suddenly have uh, visibility over who's logging in, what they need to do, frequency of customer engagement is way up. Customers that never expected to be working on mobile devices are looking at it the whole time. And, and significantly surprising analytics such as discretionary wealth clients who in the past might have only had one touch point a year with the firm are actually logging in to see how wealthy they are on a weekly or even daily basis, which is kind of understandable if you see what's happened to the markets over the last year. Uh, and so I think using digital to access your existing customers is a really important step to opening up those new markets and just getting closer to the customers, understanding what they need. Uh, and I think then breaking out from there uh, a very familiar area is inheritance. And we've mentioned you know, wealthy clients are usually part of a wealthy family. And so established firms know this problem already. They know that there's a kind of generational cliff 
coming if they look at their average age uh, and um, when uh, the current uh, patriarch or matriarch of a wealthy family passes away the wealth will stay within the family but will it stay within the firm you've got a kind of intergenerational loyalty question and uh, by definition it's going to a new generation and guess what the new generation will appreciate will be digital services uh, and so you've already got the problem and you've already got the solution which is opening a new market it's helping you keep uh, customers loyal and potentially expanding down that family tree into more customers that you can serve in a more personalized way and I think then finally to, to, to look outside into new markets and another example of something that's uh, against not started from digital but it's being accelerated by digital is the whole question of ESG so now uh, global investors uh, including ordinary people but also including uh, wealthy people are all becoming much more aware and literate about the kind of sustainability and ethics criteria. You know, if, if you're a traditional investor, you want your money to work hard for you. But now you also want your money to work for good in the world. Otherwise, you're probably not going to sleep well at night. So I think that opens up a huge range of new opportunities because there's a lot of new dimensions of value add for investment management firms now to say, not just the traditional financial performance metrics and not just the traditional risk metrics, but now these ethical and sustainability things. That's a huge innovation space, which I think is going to be very exciting. And that certainly means uh, new markets and new opportunity and, and digital help. Absolutely. And, and, and uh, you know, plenty of new value propositions there for existing cu customers as well as new ones. Um, so, so how can technology partners accelerate this shift to digital channels, um, perhaps without the need to replace existing legacy technology? I know that's a problem for a lot of established firms. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that um, it's, it's, it's the kind of question that the top leadership of the firm will be asking, right? I think if you've got those digital advocates coming in saying, you know, words like transformation and journey and roadmap and um, five-year plan, the immediate pushback is going to be like, fast, I need something accelerated, I need to know what we're going to get. So I think the answer, if you want to accelerate change and accelerate impact in the digital space, is not to work on those uh, core underlying legacy systems as your top priority. And that's not to say that you don't need to modernize and, and fix a lot of that legacy and technical debt. But the, the risk is that if you only think of it as a technology challenge like that, you could spend literally could spend years just tinkering with databases and uh, hosting arrangements and how your core processes currently work in an incrementally more efficient way. And that is not transformative. Uh, so, so the way to look at this as, as these digital advocates and, and to have that conversation with leadership is to say, well, what are the things that are actually visible and tangible to the customers? Because as we've said, that customer experience is the competitive space, actually. That's where the challenges, even though they're kind of um, not direct competitors in terms of the type of services they provide, you know, a, 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 new digital challenger in wealth is by no means uh, uh, sufficiently sophisticated to serve high net worth investors but they are already competing with the traditional firms because they're raising that bar and they're, they're setting the new standard for convenience so so the things you've got to prioritize in in that discussion are these visible tangible improvements and um get to the place where you can work on that and keep rolling out improvements so it's about trying to get 
onto your roadmap. Don't, you know, don't spend years planning your roadmap. You've got to get out there rolling stuff out. And so uh, a provider like Creologix, one of the things we talk to people about is to say, don't reinvent the wheel of the basic stuff. You know, a, a login page, uh, how does a button work? Uh, how does a menu work on a mobile phone and what happens when you're on a tablet with a slightly wider screen? You know, as a wealth management firm, you really, really don't want to have to reinvent all of that because that's good practice from the digital world that's already established. So what you want is a quick en route to having your customers visible and addressable in a digital space so that you are keeping them happy and keeping them loyal. And now you're able to start addressing the new generation or new customers. Uh, and um, get on get on that path where you're rolling new stuff out and as i said what we've seen with with the clients that we've worked with recently is that they're surprised by how the clientele that they were not sure would really adapt to digital turn out overnight to be extremely active users of digital because surprise surprise they all have mobile phones and they're doing stuff on their smartphones and on their tablets all the time for the rest of their life so uh, for us in digital it's not that surprising but um, th those customers, once they're there in that space, are actually going to fuel a lot of good ideas. And I think that's the the third part of this is you know, you've got you've got your ideas rolled out there. You're serving your customers digitally. Um, and although it is this journey, it's a kind of five, ten year major transformation. Um, you can't plan five years ahead because uh, you you actually don't know what you're going to do next year. And that's good because your customers are going to tell you what you're supposed to be doing. You'll see where they're succeeding. You'll see where they're happy. You should be using your channels to find that out, analytics again, uh, and um, finding where they're failing. Where can they not get something done in the convenient digital way that they want to do? And that basically becomes your active digital strategy. You, you have that um, ongoing live input of good ideas uh, that you can then implement rapid changes. And I think if that's going on, that will tell you what you need to fix in the back end uh, that actually has intangible value for everybody. Uh, and, and I think the last thing to say on that is really that is a large spectrum of things to work on. We've mentioned that um, in the firm, you'll have these digital advocates in um, design and marketing and technology, and you'll have the experts in client services. But um, you shouldn't expect in a traditional firm to have all the skills that you need and all the capacity. Uh, and that's where you need to get that kind of mastermind group in where you can shoot those strategy questions at them. You know, year two, everything's not quite what we expected. Customers are giving us 100 great ideas. Where do we begin? Uh, mm -hmm. Find a group where you can um, work in that kind of live partnership and shoot questions. And again, I think that it takes the digital strategy out of being a one-off project. It's not one tool. It's that kind of mastermind group um, where you can kind of uh, not try to pre-plan everything, but just get to the step one first uh, and move from there. I think that would be my kind of digital uh, strategy advice about this is, is you've got to get into the game. You've got to get your customers uh, in through your door, except it's obviously not your physical door anymore. It's in through the digital doors of this new channel where you're now in a new competitive space. Sure. And it is interesting to see there, George, that the customer engagement angle, you know, that you could have a far more engaged customer base can also feed into that strategy and mean that the actual business transformation element is also personalized and sort of made to measure for, for the clients as well. Um, exactly. So thanks very much for that. We're coming to time, unfortunately, um, but that was a really interesting discussion. Um, if our listeners would like to find out more about Creologix and the work that you guys do, um, where can I send them? Uh, so do um, search for Creologix online. Um, that's uh, uh, 
Creologix, as in creativity and L-O-G-I-X. Uh, you find us on LinkedIn as well. Uh, if you are an early adopter of Clubhouse, you'll find us in an episode uh, once a week called uh, The FinTech Break, so come and chat with us there. And if you don't fancy that rather more public discussion, then uh, Creologix do run a series of C-level closed roundtables. So come and find us if you'd like to join in that for kind of more of a closed peer group discussion with a senior leadership of uh, wealth and investment firms. Brilliant. Thanks so much for that, George. And uh, thank you to you guys for listening to the FS Tech podcast. We'll see you uh, in another edition very soon. Thanks very much, George. Thanks, Anna. Thank you for listening to the FS Tech podcast.